Ladies and gentlemen, this episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast featuring candidate for Honolulu Mayor Keith Amamiya is brought to you by, who else? Royal Thai Garden. Royal Thai Garden of a Beach. Go there. Get some takeout. They are essential to your happiness as far as essential businesses go. Mention the Blue Hawaii Podcast. Get a 20% discount in normal economic times. Uh, don't be an asshole if they don't give you one now. Royal Thai Garden, Eva Beach, 96706. Ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between and outside of our binary construct of uh, gender, welcome to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. My name is Ryan Little, and I'm joined today... My name is Josh Michaels. By Josh Michaels. Oh, damn it, I did it again, I'm sorry. No, it's okay, you didn't. You nope. didn't do it again. It was perfect. We're just glad you're here, Josh. Oh, Ryan, I'm glad I'm here, too. What do we got on tap today, my friend? We are talking to a very special guest. You have almost certainly seen his blue sign somewhere in Honolulu. We are talking to candidates to be the next mayor, big boss of the city and county of Honolulu, Mr. Keith Amamiya, who we're about to call uh, right about now. Let's dial him up. Let's dial him up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. As we told you before the break, we are joined by Keith Amemiya. Uh, he is Honolulu, excuse me, he is a candidate for mayor of Honolulu. Uh, Keith served Oahu as a business executive, nonprofit leader, and lawyer over the last 30 years. He's running for political office for the first time uh, running for mayor. For 12 years, Keith served as the executive director of the Hawaii High School Athletics Association. In 2009, during state budget cuts that threatened public high school junior varsity sports, he spearheaded the Save Our Sports campaign that successfully kept athletic programs afloat. What do they say about history repeating itself, everyone? Uh, well, you know, times are tough. You guys are too good. Keith is a civil litigation attorney by trade and was most recently the senior vice president of Island Holdings. He also has served as executive administrator for the University of Hawaii Board of Regents and has sat on many community boards, including the Honolulu Police Commission and the Hawaii State Board of Education. Keith lives in Pauoa with his wife, Bonnie, of 23 years. Their son, Chris, recently enrolled into college on the mainland and moved back to Hawaii due to the COVID-19 crisis. Keith, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Ryan and Josh. Great to have you. Yeah, well, we're sorry. You know, we, we, we've had this scheduled for a long time. We're really sorry we didn't get to do it in person, but whatever, you know, whatever it takes. Uh, but for our own benefit and to give the listeners, to give our listeners a better sense of Keith Amamiya, the human being, not just Keith Amamiya, the, you know, the resume. Would you mind telling us just a little bit more about your story and what drives you? Sure, I'd be glad to. So um, I, I was born on Oahu, raised on Oahu um, uh, in the Hawaii area. And I went to public school from kindergarten through 10th grade. And then I finished my 11th and 12th uh, grade years at uh, Punahou School. Um, my parents got divorced uh, when I was in about third grade. And my my mother uh, developed mental illness around that time, or at least it manifested itself. And so um, yeah. it was a difficult time for, for all of us. And uh, long story short, I, I kind of shuttled around a bit, uh, lived mm. uh, with my grandmother. And then eventually in the ninth grade, I was like using a Hawaiian or local term was hanaid or adopted by 
my best friend's family, and I lived with them um, through my high school years. And so um, that experience, uh, living with my best friend's family, them taking me in, they weren't even blood relatives, um, okay. but they, they provided for me. They gave me the opportunity to go to a private school in 11th and 12th grade. Uh, and then also my dealing with my mom's illness uh, gave me yeah. a lot of em- empathy sure. and, and appreciation uh, for and, and and the desire to, you know, help others. I learned a lot that, you know, sometimes in life, especially when you're younger um, and, and things are looking bleak, um, all it takes is one or two adults, whether it's uh, your best friend's parents or a teacher or a coach to give you a little nudge and a little encouragement and, and um, you can uh, move on with your life and, and do your best to succeed. Um, I went on to matriculate after high school to the university of Hawaii at Manoa. Go Bows. Go Bows. Got it. Yes. And so, and um, like a lot of college students, uh, whether it's going to school at the university of Hawaii at Manoa or, or on the mainland or, or elsewhere, um, I worked my way through and took a lot of odds and ends jobs. I was kind of a, uh, I was a legal messenger. I, I was a bus boy at a restaurant. I also did, uh, I was a handyman uh, for, for uh, the Hanai family that took me in and helped pay back by cleaning their yard and doing whatever else they needed around the house. And then I kind of did the same thing when I went to law school. So I graduated with an undergraduate degree in finance. And then matriculated to the William S. Richardson School of Law at the University of Hawaii, uh, the same law school that both of you went to. And a fine institution, um, I've heard. Uh, no doubt. Um, I <laughs> had a great experience there, and I think both of you did as well. And so, you know, I, it, it built a lot of character working your way through undergrad and law school. And so I know how it is for a lot of people to. I uh, have to study hard, but also have to work hard and be stressed out about uh, having enough money to pay your bills. And and it built mm-hmm. a lot of character, uh, I feel, and made me a stronger, better person and a more appreciative person uh, in my adult life. Uh, after that, I uh, started practicing law as a civil litigation attorney at two local medium-sized law firms. And then I made the bold move to leave the law uh, practice of law and Great idea. become the executor, executive director of the Hawaii High School Athletic Association. And um, I was finally rid of billable hours for those who work Ooh. in private practice. And that, that's a constant uh, stressor on your life uh, to, to get in those billables. And, uh, but, but I will say that I don't regret going to law school at all or being a civil litigator. I learned a lot of skill sets that, that apply to, uh, to life in general and whatever field you choose to pursue. And so when I uh, went to the Hawaii high school athletic association, um, I was way younger than I am now, 32 (laughs) years old. And, and, um, uh, you know, besides overseeing sports, one of my, most vivid, lasting first impressions was uh, by traveling across the state. I visited all 95 high schools across the state, uh, public and wow. private, and, uh, and many times over. And I got to meet people in every single community uh, across the state and including on, on this island, on Oahu. 
one of the one of my lasting memories uh, early on was how uh, so many working class families in Hawaii were struggling to make ends meet, and that was about twenty years ago. Yeah, and yep. fast forward to today, and, and it's all better. With it's exponentially <laughs> worse. Uh, yeah, but with with COVID, as as all of you know, and yeah. and um, you know, I have a lot of aloha for for working class families. A lot of them helped me in my job running high school sports, whether they were coaches or officials or volunteers giving back to the community. And I, I, I feel uh, uh, indebted to them to, to return the favor and do what I can to improve their quality of life and, and pay it forward, so to speak. As I mentioned before, I, I was helped out by a lot of people who didn't have to help me, including my best friend's family, uh, taking me in. And um, uh, this is my way of, of doing what I can to make our island, our state, better for everyone. Um, I, without preaching too much, uh, I've I've been concerned over the years and more so now about the growing income in inequality be- between the rich and everyone else. And and it, this COVID situation has further exposed that gap. It was always there. It was getting worse, and mm-hmm. now it's getting even worse than worse. And, and uh, we all need to roll up our sleeves and work together and, and get through this crisis because it's going to be a bumpy, rough ride for the next several years, if not more. And, and we all choose to live here. We love this place, but um, we, need, we need to do what we can to get the economy back on track so that um, you know, people can go on with their lives and, and our younger generations in particular have an opportunity to live, work, and play here like we've had the opportunity to. Um, as you mentioned, um, my wife and I have a son. He's a sophomore in college. He was going to school in California until COVID hit and all campuses across the country got shut down. And so he's back home. But he's going to graduate in about two years. And I want him to have the opportunity to come back here and get a job that 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 is, uh, you know, at a appropriate amount that he can he can pay the bills and, and afford to live here, but I don't know. Um, and so uh, too many people are leaving our islands before COVID. And I have a feeling in the short term, at least that even more will leave. Um, and, and we need to stem that tide. Uh, we're one of the few States in the country where we were having a negative net migration, uh, uh, if you will, where more people were leaving the state than coming into the state. And that's a disturbing trend. So, for all of those reasons, um, is kind of a nutshell about my life and why I'm yeah. running for office. Well, so Keith, you know, this is already obviously going to be a, a huge, you know, undertaking your first campaign for public office. But what's it like, you know, trying to run this campaign in the time of coronavirus? Yeah, it, it's it's difficult um, because. Many of the things that are associated with a campaign uh, that you normally would be doing, you can't do. You can't yep. canvas neighborhoods. You can't have uh, talk story sessions or coffee hours or listening sessions or those stew and rice dinners in high school cafeterias in each community. Um, you can't. Um, you can't sign no waving. Sign waving. Yeah. yeah. And, and and actually, you know, 
you technically could. That's the one thing we, as a campaign, we've talked about. Um, Ten feet apart. Yeah, exactly, and wearing masks. But yeah. but you know, um, we 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 felt that it it might be insensitive and inappropriate now. Uh, the optics uh, are definitely yeah, uh, challenging. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Well, when when thirty something percent or some extremely high amount of people are unemployed and worried about how they're going to make ends meet and pay their rent that may be due for a lot of people tomorrow or the day after the 30th or, or the first. Um, we just didn't feel it's right to, to, to sign wave. But having said that, you know, we're, we're, we, we preach being nimble um, and adaptive and flexible and you can't just throw up your hands and give up. Um, we, we are, trying to campaign or have continued to campaign in other ways, whether it's through social media or newsletters uh, via uh, email. Uh, we've started to do Zoom meetings and, you know, I'm slowly but surely getting the hang of it like everyone else and, and uh, communicating with constituents or supporters or, you know, people interested parties that way. And we're also trying to give back to the community because there's a huge need right now. So, um, we are pivoting to doing what we can to help the community, whether it's serving several hundred meals to elementary school students at public schools in Kalihi and Palolo or feeding our healthcare workers on the front lines um, or providing masks to senior citizens who live in uh, low-income rental housing that don't have access to masks. We're doing all those kind of things uh, uh, during this COVID crisis that's affecting all of us. I think the the biggest question for for people who have seen your signs or or, or know about you somewhat uh, is, you know, why now? And and maybe even bigger for the people who don't know you is is why you? Um, would you mind answering those? Sure. Um, I'll first address why I'm running. Um, I kind of mentioned it, but I'll I'll further elaborate. I'm running because I feel we need change. I feel we need new leadership, a fresh perspective. We need to restore trust in government. When I started my campaign in late August of last year, that was one of the things that 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 people mentioned uh, in in supporting my candidacy that they want change. They they are tired of the same politicians running for office. Um, uh, they want someone that's younger and, and actually not part of the political system. They, they feel that, um, that, that, again, change is necessary. So uh, they, their views echo mine that I feel we need change in government as well. Um, I also mentioned before, and I'll reiterate, I, I care about our community. I, I'm born and raised here, and I'm I, I, plan to live here the rest of my life and I want my children and her, hopefully my children's children uh, to grow up and, and, and live here uh, for the rest of their lives. And um, along those lines, I just want to do what I can to build a future for all of us and, and, and the succeeding generations. Now, why me um, and what my skill sets, uh, why, what, what I, I believe are my skill sets that will make me an effective mayor? Uh, again, I'm an outsider. I'm not be hold into traditional notions or, or any political factions. I will come in with a fresh perspective, a fresh pair of eyes. I also feel that uh, unlike any of the other candidates, 
I have executive leadership experience and have led large organizations in in uh, many uh, different sectors, whether it's uh, the the private sector where I just left, or the public or nonprofit sector. In the terms of the public sector, I was an executive in the University of Hawaii system. I've served on the Board of Education, the statewide Board of Education. I've been on the Honolulu Police Commission, as you mentioned. I'm currently on the Aloha Stadium Authority Board, and I ran high school athletics across the state for for many years. And uh, that experience I mentioned earlier provided me the opportunity to go to every community and meet everybody. And um, that's not something that most people can have uh, an experience doing. So all of those reasons are, are how I feel or why I'm running and why I feel I'm the best candidate for this upcoming mayor's race. And so, you know, you mentioned change and uh, we really like your message of change. We think change is good. We think that's a winning message. Uh, for, you know, the, the more cynical folks, you know, the cynical perspective voters out there, um, you say, Honolulu is a small town, and yeah, it's you know, it's good to be. You're pitching yourself as a political newcomer, but you know, given you know, to to have achieved the positions you've achieved in in a well, you know, you have to have connections with the Hawaii's uh, political, business, legal, you know, the general moving and shaking quote unquote establishment. What is your message uh, to the prospective voters who may not, you know, upon first glance? may not may not totally be ready to go along well that's one of my strengths is that i have the the network that crosses all sectors of the community yes i've worked with leaders in the business community i've worked with people in the legislature and the city council um, but i've also worked with with the working class and 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 below um, one of my strengths, no question, I have a, a lot of support in the business community and, and even some of the unions, but I also have a lot of support on the grassroots level. And, and that's that was shown in my campaign uh, before COVID hit. Uh, we clearly had the greatest presence across the island. And, you know, I'm, I'm not about to say that just because you have the most yard signs and banners across Oahu it means you're going to win the election for sure. But I think it does show the strength of my candidacy um, that um, I have a presence in every community. And, and it's not just uh, in, in the higher end areas of the island. Um, I drive around, uh, especially when we could campaign actively and. There were signs in Nanakuli, in Makaha, in, in Waianae, in Waipahu, in Eva Beach, in Kapolei, uh, on the windward side. And so um, for those who suggest that I am uh, running on behalf of or uh, only be because of the support of the power brokers in the state, I, I tend to disagree. And um, I go back to my my broad-based experience throughout my career, including running high school sports, and that is as grassroots as you can get, and I have a lot of support uh, with those types of people. So uh, uh, anyone who wants to typecast me as someone who's the chosen, hand-picked person of the elite, I, I strongly disagree with that assertion. 
That's fair. And I definitely have to give you props on the, uh, the signage, the field work. Your, that's your, your team is spread out. Like basically as far as all the mayoral candidates go far and away, like the president, yeah. Candidly, uh, like obliterated everybody else. Well, and you know, you know uh, oh, sorry. If I can finish that thought yeah. before, because I'm older than you guys, and I might forget um, <laughs> uh, be, before I mention it. So, uh, to that point, uh, my my core campaign team, without naming all of them, I mean, is another example of the broad cross section of support I have. Certainly, I have advisors who have been in campaigns for decades, but I also have newcomers advising me who I trust implicitly who are are in their 20s and 30s. And um, they come from all walks of life and they are, you know, um, uh, I, and they're, most of them are, are, are females, they're women. And so um, I, I want to pat myself on the shoulder. If you want stuff done, you you ask, ask my female campaign team and they, they they pull through for me. I'm so impressed with, with uh, the work they've done for me. And so, uh, and, and they're younger than me. So I, again, that's another example of how I am not a candidate of the ruling elite. Um, <laughs> you know, they, the, some of the longtime campaign advisors are, are definitely on, not on my campaign. And I hear that they're on my opponent's campaign team. So well, that's uh, all I have to say on that. Transitioning a little bit more to, you know, the issues, what is your biggest point of disagreement with the current administration of the city? Well, let me make clear that I I think they're doing their best um, and they have been doing their best. But somehow along the way, um, there's been some communication misfires, if you will, or, or, you know, misunderstandings or, or 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 communication just c- could be better, uh, whether it's with the public, uh, with specific communities, or even with the city council. And and one of my hallmarks uh, or my mantras is is to constantly communicate and to be open-minded and to be fair and, and to listen to all sides and to check your ego at the door and and. Um, Again, one of the things that just seems to uh, be a, a sticking point is is misunderstandings or miscommunications with the public. And one of my priorities as mayor will be to create an office of community engagement where the sole job of that office will be to reach out to communities and to be proactive and get their feedback before um, any proposals that may be deemed controversial are, are brought to the forefront, whether they be something like Sherwood Forest or the Kahuku Wind Farms. Um, um, you know, I don't know exactly what communication happened before those proposals came up for vote or, or went to litigation, but um, I just can't help but thinking that more and better dialogue may have averted these situations. I also think COVID has, has shown us the way that, you know, face-to-face meetings are, are usually the best, but they're not always practical, especially not now. And mm-hmm. I want to use better use technology to communicate. For example, whether it's testifying at the city council or the legislature or the board of education, why can't we use Zoom or FaceTime? And why do we have to have people 
um, you know, physically present waiting to testify at the city council or at the legislature. You know, a lot of working class families who want to speak out uh, about a, a certain issue just don't have the time to sit around and wait to testify. Um, let's let them testify remotely. Um, we've seen a lot of us uh, the the value and effectiveness of of Zoom. Um, it's it's pretty good, um, uh, and so uh, I think we should better utilize technology to allow people to have a voice. Uh, and, and and even um, in terms of providing input uh, on a certain community issue, um, you know, I feel there's other communities or cities have have used straw voting or polling just to kind of get a feel for any proposal in their community. And although the vote's not binding, at least it gives the politicians a general idea of where the community stands on an issue. And it gives the the community uh, the feeling that they their voice matters. So right now, right or wrong, fair or not, a lot of communities and their constituents feel that their voice doesn't matter and that politicians don't care. We need to fix that sooner than later. To, to your point, it seems like generally the only real engagement with the public seems to come in the form of reacting to unexpected backlash. So it'd be interesting to see how to get more in front of those things. But uh, one controversy that's not going away anytime soon, uh, the four-letter word, rail. Hmm. What, are your, what are your thoughts? Like, this is, let's keep this as broad as possible. Tell us, tell us your feelings about rail. Well, there's no question rail has had has its problems uh, up to this point. But you know, before COVID, um, I actually felt rail kind of turned the corner uh, in that you didn't hear about it as much. Um, but my my position on rail is that we need to make sure that the problems that existed in the past and the cost overruns and delays that that took place don't happen again, but, but we need to finish rail. Uh, we're, we're, we're past the point of stopping it. Uh, we need to do the best we can to, to finish rail. And, and I would venture to say, um, we need to find ways down the line to get rail from Ala Moana all the way past Waikiki and to the university of Hawaii, a ridership. That's the two areas that, uh, where people, that's the two destinations where ridership wants to go for the in, in my mind from from the the west side of the island, um, whether it's be the hotel workers uh, from the west side who need to get into town or um, students and, and employees and faculty members at, at Manoa. Um, the example I tell people all the time is uh, when the University of Hawaii is in session, traffic is horrendous when they're not traffic is pretty darn good i mean obviously you can't use uh the present as an example because these are unprecedented circumstances but pre-covid whenever the university of hawaii was on summer break or winter break or spring break um you had significantly significantly less traffic on the road and so I'm, I'm no rocket scientist, but it, it leads me to believe that we need to get cars if, if you have rail to, to, to UH Manoa, um, people are going to ride it and you'll have less cars in the road. The, the other thing that people tend to forget about rail is, yes, rail 
is expensive and it's the you know it's an inconvenience uh with the construction but rail brings along a lot of other positives and that's through transit oriented development and that will be a stimulus to the economy in terms of the construction projects that will be built around the rail stations for those of us who've been lucky enough to go to other countries or other cities like Vancouver or Tokyo or Singapore, you will see that the rail stations are, are basically mini cities in a city where you can build uh, affordable housing uh, in terms of low, lower cost condominiums. You will have re- you can have retail, you can have food establishments, you can have offices, and so number one, it'll stimulate the construction industry in the near term. And and we're we're going to need some economic uh, catalysts besides tourism because tourism will likely take a while to rebound and there'll be a discussion on how much we want it to rebound. Um, it's funny that several months ago we were complaining about too many tourists and then boy, COVID. Now we have no tourists. So yeah, uh, how how much well, do we want be, in, yeah. in in between? Um, you know, that's a discussion yeah. that that we should have. But um, a well built uh transit oriented development plan will 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 help us in many ways it'll help re- alleviate the housing crunch we have and it'll also improve traffic and it'll also um have people who live in town have their children work in town not have to live farther away from uh Honolulu um and so you know that's another aspect of rail that people tend to forget and is a reason why I feel we need to move forward with the rail project and, and finish it um, at Ala Moana, if not beyond that. Attention all other mayoral candidates. That was the correct answer. <laughs> that is, you're, you're absolutely right, Keith. And we've Josh and I have talked about that to some degree over the past three years of this podcast, um, or two years, I should say, two and a half years of this podcast. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Um, another one, another hot button issue uh that's been sort of kicked around at the state level but you know as honolulu goes so goes the state um what is your thoughts on raising the minimum wage i support the uh, raising of the minimum wage um to, to now what be, price because point? of go ahead i was going to ask to to what price point so you know, there. I, I believe DBED, the Department of Business and Economic Development, did a study recently, and they they came up with an amount uh, that seventeen dollars and change is the amount that a single adult in in uh, on Oahu or in Hawaii in general needs to basically to cover his or her basic needs, mm-hmm. and so I, I support a graduated increase uh to that amount and and the reason i say uh i'm i'm hesitant to jump all the way to that amount right now is because of covid and i'm concerned uh, a lot of businesses are on shaky ground right now and if you require them to uh, raise the minimum wage um you know by several dollars in one fell swoop that might uh hurt the economy and hurt business and and actually decrease the amount of available jobs. But I, I do favor um, uh, a graduated increase to that amount and, and probably more aggressive than what the legislature was proposing this session. I, I believe it was 
you know, a five-year uh, incre- uh, incremental increase, and it wasn't even up to seventeen dollars. I, I, but I, I, I mean, to me, again, I'm not a rocket scientist, but if studies show that someone needs seventeen dollars an hour to be paid to make ends meet, then we need to strive to reach that amount because, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully, in five years. Yes, yes. So, um, but. That's my answer. That I, I I favor an increase in the minimum wage. The 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 trick is how fast should we do it in light of COVID? Sure. Oh, this is another one that we got uh, a lot of our listeners asked us to ask this. What do you think about uh, environmentally styrofoam the ban and oh sorry excuse me what do you think about the styrofoam ban and the single use plastic ban? So I'm in favor of the styrofoam ban and I'm, I'm in favor of the single use plastics ban, but that was a, that's another perfect example of somehow along the way there was, there was miscommunication. And if only the two sides, uh, sat together and, and hashed it out, we wouldn't have such, um, polarizing positions on it um where you know it basically almost caused a civil war between the business community and and the so-called um environmental community um uh you know i i i it was clear there was there were misunderstandings or miscommunication but i think the compromise that that was reached and hashed out was a good one and that you know in time we will ban all single-use plastics in hawaii uh, as we, as both of you know, and everyone else knows, we live in an island state with limited resources, and um, and and also we're we're a progressive state, and so we should lead the way in terms of doing what we can to protect our environment because um, climate change is scary. Um, and before COVID, I would say that that may not be in the public's mind, but should be the number one issue. I mean, it's frightening. Uh, in terms of how our 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 environment was being impacted um, and how fast sea level was rising, uh, etc. So um, climate change is a big issue to me. I'll make that clear. Yeah. So actually, the believe it or not, the next question on our list is: What would you do to make Honolulu more climate resilient? Well, as you. Both probably know the city came up with a what I believe it's called Ola, the resiliency report. That's and correct. I, mean, I, 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 I like that report, frankly. Um, it was put together by a great cross section of community leaders. It was led by the city's Office of Sustainability, uh, led by Josh Danbro and um, friend of the show, Josh Danbro. Well, he, he's done some very impressive things uh, in that office and for the city. and. Um, um, I support a lot of the suggestions that have been made in that report. And uh, to me, that's, that's a great guidepost for, for the next mayor to, to follow. And it addresses a lot of uh, the climate change concerns that we have uh, as a city. And so um, I don't know what Josh's plans are um, after this election, but you know, he's definitely someone that I would tap as a resource at a minimum, uh, if not more than that, um, in terms of his involvement in city government. Okay, so we've sort of talked about this, there, there's, and it's a timely uh, issue, uh, given uh, the Peace and Civil Beat today 
the headline I'll just read to you really quickly. Uh, Mass tourism is the 1,200-pound gorilla in the room. Um, our question, uh, you know, obviously this is seems even more timely right now given COVID and, and how it's decimated Hawaii's tourist economy. Um, should Honolulu diversify its economy away from tourism? And how would you do that when the hotel and lobbying industries are so, so powerful here? Well, I definitely think we need to diversify our economy. Um, I, 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 I do feel that tourism can still be a part of our long-term economic future. The, the, but the, the million-dollar question is, is how much of a role. It, it, in my opinion, tur- tourism should not have as big a role uh, and that we need to look at other industries um, because it's proven that um, if, if we have a situation like this with COVID and we can't bring tourists over, um, our economy suffers dearly. So I'm, I'm all for doing what we can to diversify our economy, but I'm not a proponent of obviously, or maybe not obviously, uh, of eliminating tourism, but we can, we need to, we were having too much tourists in my opinion. Um, it was overtaxing our resources, um, and, um, I'm in favor of, of a much more controlled amount of tourists, but what that amount is, I'm not sure. But along those lines, I'll just give an example of where I, I, I the light bulb in my head clicked um, a couple of years ago with my wife and I. We live in Paoa, but we were on the windward side on a Sunday and we were driving around Kailua and I was taken aback at how crowded Kailua was. And it wasn't because oh, yeah. of the residents there. It was the tourists. They were riding their bikes, blocking the streets. Um, they were illegally parked the rental cars all over in neighborhoods. They were walking along the road because they couldn't walk uh, because cars were illegally parked on the side of the roads. Um, we couldn't find parking in, in, in the malls. Uh, we went to, I believe it was Lanikai Juice to get acai bowls and the line First of all, it took like 20 minutes to find parking. Then when we found parking, the line was, I swear, 50 yards long. Oh, my gosh. Um, and and uh, I don't know why we stood in the line. And maybe we <laughs> wanted the side bowls very badly that day. Um, but, but, you know, um, after about 10 minutes in line, I looked around in front of us and in back of us. And I remarked to my wife, I said, my goodness, I think we're the only non-tourists in this line. You know, and so it just underscored the fact that maybe we have a tourist problem or too many tourists and, and we yeah. need to. And, and I and I felt I felt sorrow for people who live in Kailua because, uh, you know, we just were there visiting, but they have to deal with that every weekend. And, you know, that's not the Kailua they, they envisioned when they decided to move there. Um, so. Anyway, um, that's my long-winded answer of that. We need to pivot away from tourism. It, it, it can and should be a part of our economy, but certainly not the focal point of our economy. And we need to do what we can to diversify. And, and so how, but how would you do that when the hotel industry is just overwhelmingly powerful? I mean, for you know, instance, uh, when the Airbnb ban uh, went into effect, uh, 
you know, there's a hotel industry executive sitting next to Caldwell while he's signing the bill. Like what, what would you do when they have so much outsized influence in our city government? How do you, how do you push back against that? Well, that's again, one of the problems with government and politics is that special interest groups have an outsized sized influence and it's time to seize back control for, for residents who live here. And I mean, I'm not afraid to take them on. Um, I, I feel the job of, of elected officials is first and foremost do what's in the best interests of, of, of our everyday citizens. And so I, I'm not overly concerned with, with the influence of, of uh, the hotels and the lobby uh, lobbyists that, that represent them. I mean, there's no question they have a role in our economy, um, but uh, again, if push comes to shove, I'll, I'll pick a uh, Oahu resident over a non-Oahu resident day in, day out, whether it's hotels and their lobby or, or vacation rentals um, that are illegal. We need to, do, we need to reset our, our priorities and, and focus on, on the citizens who, who live here. Agreed. Absolutely. Something, um, something else we wanted to talk about, which is uh, indirectly related to tourism, because it started, you know, it started in White Heath. Uh, compassionate disruption, you know, probably the most controversial policy uh, in, the, in the city administration, ongoing, you know, for a while. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? And as mayor, how would you approach and engage with Oahu's homeless community? Well, that homelessness is, well, let me back up. So uh, one of the priorities as mayor will be to increase the amount of affordable housing uh, on our island. We're currently about 22,000 units short of affordable housing. And uh, I think it's no coincidence that the increase in homelessness in uh, on our island and in other cities that that have had skyrocketing housing prices, uh, like Seattle and Los Angeles and San Francisco or the Bay Area, have had a corresponding rise in, in homelessness. And so uh, we need to do what we can to increase the inventory of affordable housing on our island. Uh, but more immediately, uh, we need to increase the uh, amount of mental health services and drug treatment services for our, our homeless uh, individuals. Um, it's clear that a lot of them um, shouldn't be on the streets, that it's not doing them any good, it's not doing us any good. And uh, uh, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, the homeless people that we see that walk in the middle of traffic or, or um, vandalize storefronts and do other things, uh, they amount to about 300 something and they're categorized by the city, I believe as severely mentally ill. And I'm, I'm oversimplifying it to an extent, but if we can address their, their needs, um, our streets will appear a lot better in terms of the homelessness situation, um, uh, at least in the short term. So I'm a big proponent of, 
um, addressing uh, mental health services and drug treatment services. Um, uh, it's clearly, it could be better here. Um, and, and I can ex- explain that. I alluded it to uh, earlier about my mom. And, and I know firsthand the frustration of trying to get someone yeah. who needs help, the help that, that she or he needs. Um, the standard to force someone to get treatment who clearly needs treatment is very, very high. Yeah. And, and um, it, it, it's been a source of frustration for me and the rest of my family for for decades, really. Um, and, you know, uh, those who grew up with my mom or knew my mom, you know, she, she was a good student and uh, a productive member of society, but then her mental illness became more and more severe. And um, if she only got the medical treatment uh, or drugs that, that are uh, available for her kind of illness, she'd be normal quote unquote and so you know we need to increase the services out there and and also look at the laws you know and i'm I'm, don't get me wrong i'm all for everyone's civil rights but really in the case of my mom she'd be in a much better place if she took the medication she needed um, um, to get and so um, unfortunately because of covid the legislature had to shut down basically but I know as a result of that tragic shooting, <coughs> excuse me, of the two police officers earlier this year yeah. uh, in the Diamond Head area, mm-hmm. it gave rise to several bills uh, that were introduced in the legislature to to revisit the uh, forced treatment of of people who are clearly not well. And and again, unfortunately, those laws or bills are not going to be addressed at least in, in this session, but hopefully next year. So. Those are my thoughts on, on, on the homeless is get, get the people who need help, help and get the rest of the homeless people who don't want to be on the streets. And, and there's, uh, as you know, a lot of them. And, uh, you know, through my tenure running high school sports, I will tell you that you don't even see a fraction of the people who are homeless. They are living in, in, um, in the bushes, basically, um, they're living in the mountains, um, or they're crammed into relatives' homes, and so they're quasi homeless, or they're living in their cars on on isolated side streets. Uh, from time to time, I I go running in the morning, uh, uh, um, in in Pao and down to Kalihi, and um, it took me a couple times to realize running down some of those streets, I would see lines of vans uh, parked on side streets with kind of the light on and people talking. And it finally dawned on me that, heck, they're not, they're living in those cars. And and it it broke my heart to see how many families live like that. And so again, we, we need to address the shortage of affordable housing on our Island and it'll, it'll curb a lot of the lingering issues uh, that's affecting society like homelessness um, and, and just the the struggle to maintain an adequate quality of life for people who spend a disproportionate amount of their uh, of their of their monthly income on housing. Well, I I think that actually dovetails really nicely into our next question. Um, we I was we were going to ask a question about you know young people and and the brain drain that's uh, currently affecting Honolulu and and Hawaii in general. 
Uh, and I'm sure this, like you, you mentioned earlier, that this issue hits kind of close to home because you have a son who's a sophomore in college right now, and you want him to be able to come back. And, you know, all of that is overwhelmingly linked to the cost of housing um, and general economic opportunity. Um, so as mayor, what would you do to increase affordable housing? So one of the cornerstones of my campaign is called a housing for all plan. And it is on my campaign website, amemiaformayor.com. And some of the recommendations or, or, or directives that I will propose and implement are, are things like, for example, uh, building affordable rentals on city property. There, there's more city available city land than people realize, and, and we need to do our part as city government to build affordable rentals uh, where the city has space. Uh, we also need to uh, look at ways to incentivize developers to build affordable housing uh, and have them pivot away from, from luxury housing. Um, again, I, my priority is residents who live on this island as opposed to people who don't live on this island. And so um, I, I, my obligation is to take care of people who live on this island versus out-of-state investors and out-of-state people who buy homes or condominiums here. Um, we need to look at, uh, in terms of the incentives, uh, relaxing of zoning restrictions, whether it's uh, height, dense, uh, height limitations or, or building density, uh, lowering setback requirements, um, uh, lowering parking requirements. I mean, all of the above. We need to think of ways to help the private sector. We also need to think of ways to speed up the building permit process. Um, that's a, a huge source of complaint and angst for people uh, that it takes too long to get the approval to start construction. Um, I also feel we need to crack down on on uh, uh, illegal vacation rentals. Now the city has made it created restrictions to make it harder to have uh, vacation rentals, but uh, at last count, uh, there's an estimated eight thousand illegal vacation rentals on this island. Uh, if we can shake them loose and make them available to Oahu residents, that'll have a huge impact on on the lack of affordable housing. Um, I'm in favor of imposing a vacancy tax on out-of-state investors who buy it as an investment property, as a second, third, or even fourth home that are hardly here. I mean, we need to open up as many vacant units as possible and incentivize people to rent them out um, if they're not going to use it for the bulk of the year. Um, and so... Uh, those are some of the suggestions and our directives and uh, uh, mandates that I'd like to impose as mayor and, and take a crack at uh, reducing our, our lack of housing inventory. Uh, the other point I want to make about housing is we need to also uh, be creative and think of other types of housing that have been implemented on the continent and other parts of the world. I mean, there's uh, a trend towards building micro units, you know, tiny units uh, compared to the units that we're used to. But for, for single young adult males and females, that's 
good enough because a lot of times younger people don't spend that much time in their apartment. Um, they don't need a giant uh, living area if they're going to be able to pay a lower rent. Uh, communal style living, dorm style living, um, uh, we need to, again, look at creative ways to lower the cost uh, of housing and to increase the inventory. So there's a lot of ways we can uh, attack our lack of affordable housing, and I want to implement all of the things I just mentioned. Other candidates for mayor, take note. Again, those are the right answers. <laughs> uh, Thank you. Josh, I, we're getting to your, your favorite question of the interview. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And, and this all may right. be the hardest-hitting one, but yes. bear with us, Keith. Okay. Um, well, the usual scenario we set up for this uh, involves being shipwrecked on a desert island. Um, but, you know, due to the worldwide sort of uh, imploding economic uh, travel economy, uh, we're going to have this change up a little bit. What uh, you could only grab before you went into quarantine, you could only grab one book, one movie, and one album. What did you grab? Ooh. Oh, let me think about that one. So one, wait, one book, one movie, and what else? One album? One album, yeah. Okay. Um, for a book, this will be one that I probably none of your listeners have heard of, but it's, it's um, Lessons Learned on the Streets of Kalihi by Wesley Park. And he's... He passed away um, uh, earlier this year, but he was a very successful business executive in Hawaii um, who worked at First Hawaiian Bank and at the East West Center and other places. And it's a short book with little sayings that that um, with a local twist, so to speak, that that um, I, I thought were words, great words of wisdom. Um, and so Wesley is. You know, grew up uh, in a tough blue-collar neighborhood and went to Roosevelt High School and the University of Hawaii at Manoa and, and again, became a successful business person and philanthropist. So um, that's the one book I would uh, probably bring with me to just remind me and ground me on, on uh, to stay humble, work hard, and give back to the community. I mean, that that's the premise of his book in a nutshell. Um, Movie, hmm. I don't know. I'm thinking of being shipwrecked on an island. I guess I. I don't know why Forrest Gump is comes to mind. My... It's a classic, <laughs> man. Yeah, Forrest Gump's an all time great. <laughs> and then very rewatchable. That's important too. You got to be able to rewatch it. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's one of those rewatchable movies. So I'll I'll, I'll pick uh, Forrest Gump. And then in terms of an album. Bruno Mars, his twenty-four carat, twenty-four K Magic album. That, from oh, it's such a good three, album. Three or, yeah, because it's a blend of all types of genres, and and it's it's appealing to all ages, you know. And so, and he's from here, Local so boy, yeah. I, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna switch to Bruno Mars. Did you see and his him? most recent album? Did you see him when he was here in concert? Yes, I did, and he's amazing. He's unbelievable. Ugh. He's so talented. I mean, he can he writes his own music. He can sing, and he can dance. I mean, the guy 
is such a talent. So I know who's playing your victory party then. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, probably, he'll be he'll be playing virtually. Uh, if I can get him, that'll be phenomenal. But I'm not going to count on that. <laughs> well, we didn't get an interview with him when he came through either. So, <laughs> um, all right. So. Uh, for technology reasons, listeners, we we've just lost Josh. Um, but oh, his just. his uh, his final question that he always wants to ask people: uh, Imagine a world where COVID nineteen doesn't exist, where we're no longer social distancing, uh, and you have to take somebody to your favorite spot to eat on Oahu. Where are you going? Boy, there's so many good spots, um, but I'm going to default to comfort food and a uh, iconic local restaurant. I'm going to say Zippy's. Oh. <laughs> yep. It's a, that's consistent. That's par for the course. Everybody loves Zippy's, man. And what do you, yeah. what do you get? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I love, this is the a decadent one but i learned it from one of my friends who whose family owns zippies uh the higa family it'll be a chili burrito with extra cheese and extra onions and a scoop of macaroni salad oh my goodness that's i'll have to exercise for a week straight <laughs> after that but that is my decadent zippies meal that's that's the play listener so if you if you want to know how to eat like uh like a potential future mayor that's what you got to get and now is is the mac salad in the burrito or is it on the side no no no, it's on the side okay i I don't know if that sounds super tasty but i would try it if you if you swear by it i'll try it yeah uh you got to give it a try and then um let's go back so the book the proper title or the correct title of of uncle wesley as i i called him um and knew him as Uncle Wesley Park. Lessons learned on the corner in Kalihi. Okay, get that book. It's on Amazon, and it's it's a great, uh, you know, little tidbits and and words of advice, life advice uh, from Uncle Wes. And that's a favorite book that I like to read from time to time to remind me of what's important in life and how to stay grounded. I'm I'm sure. Uh, everybody could use a little refresher and what's important in life and how to stay grounded, especially right now with, with the COVID thing going on. Um, Absolutely. Keith Amamiya, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, we wish you the best of luck with your campaign. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It was a treat. And, uh, you know, I wish you folks well and stay safe too. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much.
Jordan, you're a great professional, but tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, <laughs> How are we I'm getting this about, off? I'm thinking Get about... Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Hey! Cheers, Karen. Go on, Cheers. Jordan. Love it. <laughs> Nothing left. That's what it'll be like tonight. Nothing left, lad. Well done. Love you.